If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9. Uh, that and a couple other passages, one from 1 Peter 4, the other from 2 Corinthians 12, are printed on the inside cover of your bulletin there. We're going to look at other scripture ver verses during the course of the sermon, but we'll read those three to start to uh, uh, guide our thoughts. Now, worship, connect, serve. We've uh, been talking about it for several weeks. It's how we glorify God. It's what disciples do. One more message on this topic, serve deeper. Why should you serve deeper? Well, wait for the introduction. This is the pre-introduction of sorts, and, uh, and I'll tell you. Deal? So... With that, let's read God's word. First from Philippians 2, verses 3 through 9. Hear God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. From 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then from 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thus ends the reading of God's word. And he had, I almost forget this, once every blue moon. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing as we consider his word. Let's pray. God, you're good. What you do is good. Help us to see your goodness in every blossoming of every flower and every rising of the sun, every day when we have that joy and that privilege. Be with us. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. This we ask in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. I want you to serve more because your Savior came to serve and not to be served. I want you to serve more. I want you to commit more. But Matt, I'm already doing a lot. Well, maybe you need to look at point number four, serve better by saying no more. But Matt, the problem isn't me. It's all those lazy people. Then trust that the Holy Spirit can move them to serve. Trust that the Word can still do its work. But Matt, I don't even know where to start. Start by meeting the servant so that you can serve in the strength that he provides. You may be serving more than you realize. You may be at your limit already. 
Maybe you need to say no more. Maybe you need to say no to false guilt a whole lot more. You may need to remember why we serve in the first place, and maybe you need to discover or rediscover who sustains us as we serve. That's a whole lot of maybes, because we have a whole lot of different people in our congregation, which maybe is custom made for you. Well, I don't know, but I know that we all, like Samuel, need to say, speak to us, Lord, for your servants listening. And speaking of servants, let's meet the servant. That's our first point. Meet the servant. Philippians 2, 2 through 4, really. Philippians 2, meet the servant. The Philippian church was so joyous. Well, except for the way that they couldn't get along. You don't believe me? Well, look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These two ladies couldn't get along. So Paul decided they needed a come to Jesus moment. And I'm not talking about Philippians 4. I'm talking about Philippians 2, what we already read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's Paul saying? What is he laying the groundwork for? He's saying, stop being selfish, start being like Jesus, who took the form of a servant, the suffering servant. He has come and he was crushed for our iniquities, crushed for our pride and our superior opinions, for our selfishness and our wanting it my way, for our argumentativeness and our desire, our need for others to know that we are right. The servant died for people like that. The servant died so that we could stop being people like that. So that we could be found in him, he'll say one chapter later. Not having a righteousness of our own. In other words, so that we could realize these tendencies, these flaws, these quirks of ours. Oh, they're much deeper than we thought. They're not things that we can shake and just put away on our own power. Without the servant, without his power. So that we can be found in him, Paul says, having the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. You see, he didn't just serve me in his death. He served me in his life, in his obedience. He obeyed in all the ways that I failed. He's accomplished what I never could. And all of my service flows from that. You see, I don't serve to earn my salvation because I never could. I can't do enough. I serve in view of God's mercy, as Romans 12.1 says, I serve because he served me. Guilt atoned leads to gratitude in that freely given. I serve by offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. I serve in the strength that he provides, which is our next point. Secondly, serve in the strength that God provides. Serve in the strength that God provides. That's 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Do you want to work at a place 
that believes in duty, honor, and service? What if it's not a Christian place necessarily? Presents a bit of an interesting dilemma, doesn't it? One that many of you might be familiar with. On the one hand, duty, honor, and service, good things. They're certainly not bad things. I want my neighbors to be dutiful, honorable, service-oriented people, right? I mean, would you rather have the neighbor that shovels the snow right up to the property line of his sidewalk and no further? Would you rather have the neighbor that occasionally shovels your sidewalk as well? I'd rather have those neighbors, neighbors like Derek and Ralph and others, neighbors who buy my kids Christmas presents, who check my house for Amazon packages when I'm gone, amen? On the one hand, you certainly don't want to say that duty, honor, service, there's anything wrong with those, right? But you also, if you're a Christian, you want to find opportunities to speak a word seasoned with salt about where we get the strength to be dutiful, honorable, servant-hearted people, don't you? Again, many of you know this struggle, but perhaps we don't struggle with it enough. Perhaps we don't work out our own salvation enough. You know that verse, many of you, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God calls us to work out our salvation. And why? Because God works in us. You're going to go on a little tour of the Pauline epistles here for a moment. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says there, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is by works. Wait, didn't it? God's works, Christ's work on the cross, in his ongoing, continuing, sanctifying work in you. God is working in us. And all our good works are enabled by his work, his strength. Colossians 1.29 puts it this way, but for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. The older Paul got, the more he talks like this, the more allergic to taking credit he is. To the point where he says he's the chief of sinners in one of his final letters. And even a few years before then, he said it this way. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. F.F. Bruce wrote a book about Paul. It was famously titled, The Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Think about that title. I love that title. Talking about a heart that was transformed. Talking about a guy who used to do things to convince himself that he was good enough. Look at the beginning of Philippians 3 sometime. We'll look at it in a moment. Who then began to do good things because he couldn't do anything else. He couldn't help himself. He was controlled, compelled by something. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls or compels him. He, he couldn't do anything else but what God had called him to do. Did he sin? Of course he did. Read Romans 7. But as an old mentor of mine once said, God never lets Christians sin successfully. He yanks us back on course, even if it's painful. And don't assume that Paul is the only guy who's wired like this so that you can just excuse him as some zealot or something like that. No, we read from Peter earlier. Let's read it again. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. We're servants of the servant, happy to serve, compelled to serve in a good way. We want to serve. And deep down, we know that all of our service comes from his energy, that he so powerfully works within us. It's from the strength that he provides. That's why we devote ourselves to God's word daily and weekly, reading, meditating, memorizing, listening, because the world tells us we are what we make ourselves to be. And God, God's word says, no, not exactly. We're what God makes us to be. Following our own desires, that can lead to disaster. Talk to Adam and Eve, who wanted to be like God, who wanted to have a deeper forbidden knowledge that wrecked paradise for them and for us. Thought to follow up on another day. Not every appetite is a good one, my friends. We need God to change what we love so that we love what is truly lovely, so that we know the loveliness of redemption and salvation, so that we know the beauty, the freedom of serving in God's strength. That leads to our next point this morning. Serve better by knowing service doesn't earn salvation. Serve better by knowing that service doesn't earn salvation. Let's talk about Philippians 3. Paul there, he gives his spiritual resume, which is better than the false teachers in Philippi, the Judaizers who had insisted that circumcision was essential for salvation. Paul says no. Faith alone in Christ alone, that's what's essential for salvation. And yes, the faith that saves, it will never be alone. It will be accompanied by good works. So Paul gives his list good works, to show these false teachers how foolish they really are. And then there's a shift. It comes in chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What's happening here? What light bulb went on for Paul? He realized, I can't earn this. I can't earn this. It's freely given. God's salvation, it's freely given. So if I know that, I am free to live for Christ and stop counting my good works, because that's kind of what we do, don't we? We know 
that salvation is free, it's given by God's grace, but there's this thing, this default setting that keeps uh, enacting itself and we keep track of our good works. We wonder if we've really done enough, enough for God to love me today. Maybe we don't say it that way. Maybe it sounds more like this, enough for me to feel like I'm as good as I should be. You see, Christ doesn't say, do this to gain salvation. Christ says, you've already received it. You've already been found in Christ. You've already been saved by grace. The moment you believe in Christ is your Savior. Another way to say it, Christ never says, earn this. Do you know that movie? Saving Private Ryan. It's a fairly graphic World War II movie. You've been warned. It's after D-Day, Tom Hanks and his men, they get a new mission, saving Private Ryan. Ryan's three brothers have all been killed in the war. It's loosely based on history. And the army says, Private Ryan's mother is not going to lose her final son in the war. No, so Tom Hanks and his men, they think the mission's a little ridiculous, to be honest, but they do it. And all of them die, saving Private Ryan. In the whole movie... Is a flashback. Forty-some years later, Private James Ryan visits the graves of the men who saved him, and he remembers Tom Hanks' final dying words to him, earn this, earn this. Now, what's he saying exactly? Exegeting a movie, we get a little, little, little dicey territory here, right? think he's essentially saying, live a good life. Don't let the sacrifice of all these lives be in vain. And Private Ryan is worried. He asks his wife, in his old age, has he done enough? But on the other hand, we need to realize, Private Ryan can't earn anything. Not by his past, not by his present, not by his future. Private Ryan was saved. He received a gift. He couldn't earn this. With all due respect to Tom Hanks, Christ never says, earn this to us. You can't earn salvation. Not by what you've done before, not by what you'll do for the rest of your life. And if you can't earn this, then you can stop keeping score and start serving in the strength that God supplies. When he gives you a chance to serve, you can serve instead of trying to earn it. When God gives you so much that you have to say no, you can rest knowing that there's nothing you have to earn. Christ has given you all you need and more. Serve better by knowing that Christ never says, earn this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That leads to our next point. Serve better by saying no more. Serve better by saying no more. You're a servant, but you are not the servant you are not the Christ, as John the Baptist once said, John 1.20, as well as chapter 3, verse 30. You are not upholding the world by the word of your power. You, you cannot do it all, and you shouldn't try. I, I can't do it all either. I, I said yes to too much in 2018 and 19, and I'm certain that I suffered, and the church probably suffered too. But to follow up from last week, you, you cannot do it all. Also, you can't know everyone. <laughs> I, as a pastor, strive to know everyone in the church, but I don't expect you to know everyone. Everyone in our church probably won't know everyone else, and that's okay. You can be kind and 
welcoming to everyone and you can connect deeper with a few. You can't do it all and you shouldn't try. You are finite and that is okay. In his book, Crazy Busy, Kevin DeYoung says this, if Jesus is any example, God does expect us to say no to a whole lot of good things so that we can be freed up to say yes to the most important things that he has for us. If you volunteer at the church so much that your family never sees you, then something's wrong, right? You've said yes to so many things that you're essentially saying no to the wrong thing, to the most important thing. Who needs to hear that? I'm not sure, but the principle remains. Every yes is a no to something else, and every no enables or allows a yes to something else. That insights from another good book. It's another pastor. It's titled, No is a Beautiful Word. I recommended that one before. But everyone has different capacities. Everyone has different gifts and callings. And you may be in a season where you have to say no a lot. You may say no to a lot of good things so that you can do the most important things. Things like taking care of your family, diapers, dropping people off at school, doing the dishes, devoting your time and energy to let your kids talk to you about whatever they want, devoting time to scripture and the spiritual disciplines. And if life is not a contest or a competition, if I don't need to compare myself to what someone else is doing, someone on Instagram or someone I know, and if salvation is not something that you earn, then you should be content knowing that Christ loves you, Christ loves you even when you're unlovable, and that you have said yes to the best things, the things that please Christ. Be content to be faithful in little, knowing that God's grace to you is certainly not little. Oh, it's overwhelming. It's huge. This summer, I wrote something in a journal. I'm not a huge journaler, but I wrote this down. Set priorities and reserve margin for emergencies. I could have just as easily written, set priorities, say no a lot, so that I can say yes when the right time comes. A few weeks later, I got lunch with an older gentleman who uh, needed a flat tire changed. I had time, I had margin, and he needed help. Set priorities, say no, reserve margins so that you can say yes when the emergencies arise. Also, that's a good financial principle as well, similar to the Old Testament idea of gleaning. Put space in your budget for generosity. For tithing, yes, I'm talking about that, but also for the small needs that others have that you might be able to meet when the time comes because in all this, the point is not saying no. Yes, the point number four, serve better by saying no. Yes, but the big point is not saying no. The point is saying yes to the right things, to the most important things. And this is where I have to give you a warning. Don't say no so much that you lose your community. What's he talking about? I'm sorry, but I've seen this happen. New person gets so excited, says yes to too much. And then they have to scale back. Then they have to say no. But then sometimes they keep saying no. And sometimes I will hear this phrase from folks. I just need some space. And for some reason, after that, I often, not always, but often hear this, whether it's one month later, six months later, 12 months later, 
I just don't feel like I have good community anymore. Is that guaranteed to happen to everyone who says no to any service opportunity? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I've seen that happen too many times to not warn you at all. The solution to too much service isn't no service. It's sustainable service. And part of that is knowing the one who sustains you. So yes, serve better by saying no more. But also, fifthly and finally, serve better by expecting busy seasons. Serve better by expecting busy seasons. DeYoung's Crazy Busy. It's 10 chapters long. It's relatively short. It's a good book for busy people. 10 chapters long. The first eight chapters, very convicting for busy people. At one point, he says this. What does it say about me that I'm frequently overwhelmed? What do I need to learn about myself? What biblical promises am I not believing? And then what's going on in my soul so that busyness comes out as my chief challenge every year? Some of us may need to hear that. But then in chapter 9, he shifts. He shifts in a very distinct way, an intentional way, a sample of quotes from that chapter. He says, the reason we are busy is because we are supposed to be busy. If you have creativity, ambition, and love, you will be busy. It's not a sin to be busy. You suffer more because you don't expect to suffer at all. In other words, you expect, we expect that life will never be busy. Life will never be hard enough that I might need to pray for God to help me. I mean, doesn't Paul say to us, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We will have suffering in life. He also says this, what if mothering small children isn't supposed to be easy? The same goes, and I paraphrase at this point, for pastoring a church, being a friend, or just being a Christian. What if he says some things are supposed to mean, quote, a lot of time-consuming, burden-bearing, gloriously busy, and wildly inefficient work. I'm almost done. You will suffer if you are committed to people. And if we love others, how can we not be busy and burdened at least some of the time? See, again, the point is service, the best kind of service. God-glorifying service and the strength that God provides. Isn't that what disciples do? The point is not unlimited me time. The solution to too much service, it's not no service. I'm going to quote DeYoung again, the antidote to busyness of soul, he says. The antidote to busyness of soul is not sloth and indifference. The antidote is rest, rhythm, death to pride, acceptance of our finitude and trust in the providence of God. The busyness that's bad is not the busyness of work, but the busyness that works hard at the wrong things. But we need to say no, yes, so that we can say yes to what truly matters. Christ has called his followers to make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that Christ commanded. That is a huge task, is it not? And that's going to involve saying no to a lot of other things, a lot of other good things. And that's okay, so long as we say yes to the best things. But you know, all the productivity in the world, all the shortcuts and tools, all the best practices, all of the self-care, 
It can't insulate us from a fallen world with broken people who are going to occasionally need our help, nor should it. In other words, sometimes we will be busy. But let's pray that we're busy doing the right things as much as we can be. And sometimes the dryer will break. Sometimes it will snow and snow and snow some more. Sometimes you will shovel your driveway three or four times in two days when you have something important to finish. What do you do when the dam breaks? What do you do when all of your best efforts to manage your time go to pot? (laughs) How do you dip your toe back into the waters of service when you know that you nearly drowned over doing it the last time? John Piper would say, remember the leftovers. What's he mean? He's talking about Mark chapter 8. Jesus feeds the 4,000. As soon as that's over, the disciples start whining like the Israelites of old. We have no food. What are we going to do even though they just saw Jesus multiply the fish and the loaves and feed 4,000 people? Jesus, of course, doesn't miss a beat. Mark 8, 17. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Piper picks up on this and he says, understand what? The leftovers. The leftovers were for the servers. In fact, he says, the first time there were 12 servers and 12 basketfuls left over, Mark 6, 43. The second time there were seven basketfuls left over. Seven, the number of abundant completeness. What didn't they understand? That Jesus would take care of them. You can outgive Jesus. When you spend your life for others, your needs will be met. The lesson is not that Christ's servants get leftovers while everybody else gets the good stuff. No, the lesson is that Christ abundantly supplies all that we need and more, and the leftovers are proof of that. We serve in the strength that God supplies, and God's supply will never run dry. His power is made perfect even or especially in our weakness. An old hymn says it this way, Canst thou not see how all thy desires ever have been Granted in what he ordaineth. Serve deeper, my friends, because Christ came to serve. Serve deeper and see that God's grace is deeper than you realized. Serve in the strength that he supplies. Serve and see how he connects you to others along the way. Serve and see how you grow. Serve and see if he doesn't sustain you somehow. Let's pray. God, you're good. What you do is good. Father, we pray that this word this morning for anyone who is afflicted and beaten down, who's served and served and served some more and feels weary, we pray that this word would not be another weight upon them, but it would be a light. It would be a light and easy burden and that they would find in you all that they need and more. Father, for those who were too comfortable, 
who are too at ease, who know they could serve and just don't want to. Oh, Father, would you afflict the comfortable? As an old preacher once said, comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. Give us what we need and give us all more of Jesus. Help us to find our strength in him. Help us to find our forgiveness in him. Help us to find all that we need and more, as you promise. We pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen.